Now, when you come to chapter 4 and 5, you're beginning, you're beginning the, the discussion, which really is a, an attack, on Job from his three friends. And, um, but as we look at Job, we're not just trying to find out the struggles and the troubles of Job. We're actually going to learn about his friends. We're going to learn about our enemy, the devil. We're going to learn about God. So uh, look at Job. Let's start in chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll read, if you'll stand with me, verses 1 to 7. And as we read, please stand. Job chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. As we read, please take care to read with thought and realize this is not Eliphaz encouraging. He is, he is hurting Job. And I want you to see it for yourself. Let's say it together, starting in verse 1, begin. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it is come upon thee, and thou faintest. It touches thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Wow. Father, one more time, we're going to pray that you would open our eyes to what's really going on, even among Christian friends. If only we would take it serious that we have a chance to encourage and to help, and yet we use our tongues for destruction. Help us to be very careful with what we say to one another, especially when there's hurting. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, we're listening to one of Job's best friends. This is not an enemy. This is not an enemy that just sat down and said, Job, I've been waiting for this in your life so I could just um, uh, hurt you. No, this is one of Job's three best friends in his life. But his best friend becomes his worst nightmare because he's a critic instead of an encourager. So... In, from chapter 4 on, all the way to chapter 31, 28 chapters, we have these three friends just pointing the finger, just trying to, trying to expose Job and um, not knowing that they are, they are hurting him and that they are wrong. So, you have the first set of attacks which is uh, from chapter 4 to 14, where Eliphaz, then uh, Bildad, and Zophar. Each time Job tries to respond, and they don't listen to one word he says. If you follow along this, sometimes in a discussion, now I know some of you have been in an argument probably with somebody, and each of you are firing away and not listening to each other. I know you've never done that. Come on, I mean, you've never done that. Anyway, when you get in an argument, you're just, and the other person, and nobody's listening to anything. That's what's going on here in each one of these cycles. You have first cycle, second cycle, chapter after chapter, and a third cycle of of. Uh, attack and respond, attack and respond. And, and Job finally throws up his hands. He says, miserable comforters are ye all. He's just, he's bleeding on the floor from their verbal attacks. Uh, but it's not over because after they've done their best to try to tear Job down, 
Another, a young man named Elihu then speaks up, and for seven chapters, he goes at Job without stopping. Then after him, now at least Elihu is waited, listen to both sides, and then he's weighed in. And it is a rough, if, if you've, listen, if you've been safe for very long and you have not read through your Bible and read through Job, you need to do it. Because Job was meant to be uh, uh, not only read, but pondered. Because it is life to be alone when you're hurting. It is life to just be dead, stopped in the middle of the road, nowhere to go, and nobody helping you. And you've got to know this book and know the God of Job because Job has some things so right that he's able to get through this without wanting to commit suicide. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, when God is silent in your life, as we talked in chapter 3, and, and Job says, where are you? Why are you so silent? When God is silent, it hurts most of all. Because you wish God would just rush in and say, it's okay, Job. Don't worry, I'll get you through this three weeks in your own. Job doesn't hear anything except his friends. So, we talked about last week, we talked about Eliphaz starting. Well, look at verse 1, he says, Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Um, if we say, if we attempt to commune with thee, are you going to be upset? <laughs> if I say something, will it offend you? <laughs> But who can withhold himself from speaking? I have to say my piece. So Eliphaz speaks up. He can't help himself. And he begins to mock Job. Eliphaz loses the plot because he forgets. You know, when, when you need a friend, you don't need a friend when everything's going well. You need a friend when you're at the bottom and you don't need somebody to start trying to find out all your faults and expose all the reasons why you're in the position you're in. But Eliphaz just, just starts to mock Job. He says, you know, you were able to help other people, but you can't even help yourself. I mean, what a way to talk to somebody. So he starts to use what's called conventional or humanistic wisdom instead of biblical wisdom. Tell me, have you not found when you read the Bible that Jesus says, if you want to be great, you must be what? The servant of all. Biblical wisdom is usually, if not all the time, opposite or opposed to what we expect it to be. We think if I'm going to be great, I have to do great things. If I'm going to be great, I have to let everybody know I'm doing great things. If I'm going to be great, I need everybody's admiration. And Jesus says, no. So conventional, worldly, humanistic wisdom has no place in counseling one another. You do not use advice that you find in a newspaper column. Does that make sense? Are you following me? So, but that's what Eliphaz does. He says, you know, your faith doesn't seem to work when you need it, uh, Job. Now, you know, that's a pretty hard slam. Your faith is good for others, but not good for you, is it, huh? Now, let me just say this. Should a Christian be happy all the time? No. No. And if you're sad and somebody comes along and says, what's wrong with your faith? Does that not hurt? But that's what Eliphaz is doing. He's saying, you had a bad day, huh, Job? No, he's had a bad month. I mean, everything's gone wrong. And Eliphaz says, how come you're not happy? How come you had all this trouble going in your life? Something must be wrong with you, Job. So, this is what we talked about last week. They said, God's people don't have troubles. Is that true or false? 
Do God's people have troubles? You better believe it. If you want to be in a part of a church where everybody's going well, this is the wrong church, all right? <laughs> you need to realize being a Christian is not you now having no more troubles. It's, well, now I'm going to, now I'm on the front line and everything that can go wrong will. <laughs> but that's okay because I'm following Jesus. <clears throat> Said only the, Eliphaz says, only the wicked reap troubles like you do. I've only seen wicked people, sinful people, have, lose everything. And he said, honestly, that, you know, it looks like God is against you, and if God's against you, you're doomed. You're doomed. Eliphaz is not the kind of friend you want to sit down with and have a cup of coffee with when you've lost your job. Okay? He would tear you to shreds. So we're going to go, and now we're going to dive into the, the rest of chapter 4 and look at Eliphaz's theology. So we'll pick up here in verse 12. And uh, I'm just going to read 12 to 21 and give you some, uh, uh, some thoughts on these verses here. Now a thing, now this is, this is Eliphaz talking. Now a thing was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a little thereof. In thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falleth on men, Fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Then the Spirit passed before my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. You know, what he's, this reminds me when I was in the Boy Scouts, and when we would go camping, everybody would tell ghost stories, trying to tell something more scary than everybody else. This guy is talking like, I had a revelation. A Spirit spoke to me. Verse 16, it stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. <clears throat> um, what am I looking here? Yeah, okay. Uh, an image was before mine eyes. There was silence, and I heard, um, and I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants. And his angels he chargeth charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Doth not their excellency, which is in them, just go away, fly away, we'd say? They die even without wisdom. Now, if you thought that verse those verses through, you would hear no encouragement at all except God is, is looking at you and He's just going to let you fall apart. Something is wrong with you. So when we come to this thing, he's, he, starts to, he starts to express his theology based on secret revelations. Now that's very dangerous because... Mm, you know, if somebody says, I had an angel speak to me last night, how do you prove them wrong? Or how do you know if they did? You know what the Bible says? We have a more sure word of prophecy. So if somebody comes along and claims to have spoken to an angel, I can test them. Somebody once said it this way, and I think I can remember it. If there is somebody who could speak for God, and if it disagrees with the Bible, they're not from God. And if they claim to speak for God and it does agree with the Bible, you didn't need to hear them anyway. 
Does that make sense? So our Bible is our final authority. So when people start telling you, I had a vision, I had a dream, oh, I, I, I have a special revelation, just walk away. Walk away. They're caught up in themselves. They think that they have something you don't. And it's very important that we see this modern generation of Christianity is built upon people instead of God's Word. So the angel says, hey, shall mortal man be more righteous than God? What is Eliphaz trying to do? He's trying to say, you know, an angel told me about you, Job. You're not more righteous than God. Was Job claiming to be more righteous than God? No. He says also, no one is more just than God. No one even compares to God. God doesn't even treat anything with equality with himself, especially people who live in houses of dirt. Now, you know, the truth is, that's all correct. Is anybody as just as God, yes or no? There's nobody as, as righteous as God, no. There's nobody who is compared to God. And really, God doesn't even, his, his holiness, even angels can't compete and compare with his holiness. So what, what Eliphaz is saying is, doesn't help anybody. It's like he's, he's saying things that are religious. He's saying things that, that are supposed to impress Job, but they have no purpose. And this is where wisdom is very important. And I'm going to make this very clear. When you're trying to be a friend to somebody, don't just quote scripture. Don't just show off. If you don't have something that will encourage them, if you don't have something that, will, that you can say that will help them, say nothing. Say nothing. Because you don't need to show off how much Bible you know. You need to say something that will help them. You might just need to say nothing. Amen? So he's got these secret revelations. I'm going to show you something. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at your place here. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to ask, let's see, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. I guess I'll just read it myself for time. Ephesians 4 and verse 15. My Bible says, but speaking the truth, what well, are the next two words? Say them with me real loud. In love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So when you do speak anything, make sure you're doing it in what attitude? In love. So, Eliphaz bases his theology on some secret revelations. Secondly, he seeks to destroy Job verbally. Still, go back here now to chapter 5 and verse 1. Job chapter 5 and verse 1. Call now, if there be any that will answer thee. And to which of the saints which thou turn? For wrath killeth, this is God's wrath, killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. I've seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. His children are far from safety, and they are crushed in their gate. Neither is there any to deliver his children. Now, what did he just do there? He crossed a line. He said, you know, wicked men's children are crushed. They are killed. Implying that Job's children's death was because of him. Uh, verse um, 5 
whose harvest the hungry eateth up, and taketh it even out of the thorns, and the robber swalloweth up their substance. And although affliction cometh not forth from the dust, although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring up out of the ground, as if to say, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. Some thoughts here. Number one, you're alone, Job. Who are you going to ask for help? Who are you going to call to? Who's going to come to your help? God's not going to rush to you. There's nobody there. You're on your own. And if there's anything the devil wants to do with a Christian, he wants to get you alone. What does a lion look for when there's a, a field full of deer or antelope or I don't know? He's looking for that one deer that got off by itself. So if there's anything the devil wants you to do is for you to get upset at Brother Craig, or upset at Nita, or upset at Bill, which is always easy. You want to get upset at somebody, oh, I'm not going to church tonight. And so there you are on your stupid idiot box, or you're, you're, you're wasting your time, and the devil begins to work and surround you, and he starts to devour you. So he wants to get you alone, and as a matter of fact, when you get hurt by another believer, immediately go, well, they're all like that. What are you doing? You fall into a trap of the devil where all of a sudden there's nobody to talk to, nobody to, to look for help. So he says, you're alone, Job. Secondly, he says, God's wrath is only directed at fools. Whatever trouble you're in is wrath, and God doesn't make trouble for believers. Is that true? Mm. He says, you must then be an unbeliever. You must be a reprobate, Job. The way that he describes these things, he says, wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. I've seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. I knew that man's damned. His children are far from safety. They're crushed in the gate, whereas they're supposed to be victors. He says, I've seen your kind so many times before. Your children evidently deserved what they got. Your wealth has been eaten up because of some secret sins in you. And he says, affliction is only God's doing. It's not chance. Affliction just doesn't come out of the dust. God brings trouble. And he says again, this is, this is his theology that he's picked up somewhere. If he had YouTube back then, he got it off of YouTube and where trouble only happens to the bad people. And he says, evidently, <laughs> verse 7, man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. It just, it just happens. And you seem to be destined for trouble, Job. I have to ask this. How could he say such a thing? How could he even talk to Job that way? And I have four thoughts here. Number one, because he believes his own experiences over Scripture, and probably you do too. When I, when I say that, what I mean is this. His experience in Christianity or his experience in walking with God has been good at this point in Eliphaz's life. Would you understand that? And when somebody else has something else happen to them than what they've experienced, they go, oh, you must not be as good as me. That's called experience-based theology, and it is of the devil. If somebody, if you're, we live in the West, you've got a car, you've got a job, you've got health, 
uh, you got food, you got clothes, and you see some other people, and they seem to be having trouble. You go, heathen. Look, at they don't have clothes. Oh, look, they don't have the internet. Hey, heathen. That's been the attitude of Christians throughout the centuries, where they looked at the third world, and they never sent missionaries because they said, that must be God's judgment on them. Leave them alone. It took hundreds of determined men and women who cried out from church to church across England and Scotland and France and Germany saying, we must go to the heathen. And the churches would say, you go. They must be under the wrath of God. That has been a blot on Christianity. Don't let it be a blot on your life where you see somebody else and they don't have, they've lost their job. They've lost their family. They've lost their health. They, they, they seem to go from disaster to disaster, and you go, hmm, must be something wrong with them. That, how can somebody say that? Because you're, you're basing your faith on your experience, and you haven't experienced that trouble yet. Second thing, well, how can he talk all of that? Is because he's not in Job's shoes. It is incredibly important when you ever get to minister to somebody that you listen to them and you take a lot of time to find out what they're feeling before you ever say a word. Because every Christian is supposed to counsel. Every Christian is supposed to encourage. You may not be able to deal with the deep things, but you ought to be able to say something that just thinks, I needed to hear that. So make sure you get into their shoes and know how they feel and what they've experienced. I don't think Eliphaz really took time to know what Job was feeling or else he never would have said the things that he said. Do you understand? Third, <clears throat> his friendship with Job was based upon Job's successes, not on Job himself. If people don't love you warts and all, they don't really love you at all. Amen. So, Eliphaz and Job were the best of friends because Job was super wealthy. Job was super successful. Job was super powerful. There was no one in the East that was greater than Job. And guess who hung around with Job? Another guy who was super powerful, super wealthy. And when Job's success <laughs> collapsed, look how Eliphaz looks down on him. He goes, yeah, I always wondered about you. If you ever make a friend, Make sure you love them, warts and all. Amen. Because we got far too many marriages that are based on till arguments doth us part. Number four, because he's influenced by the devil. <clears throat> when you're reading your Bible, not every word in your Bible is true. Now watch what I meant by that, okay? Because sometimes it's spoken by somebody that is not speaking for God. Eliphaz is not speaking for God. And so I'll show you another one where somebody was not speaking for God. Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. In verse 50, let me go back a few here. All right, go back to 51. It came to pass, Luke 9, 51, when the time was come that he, Jesus, should be received up. He's going to go up onto the cross. 
He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, even though I would run the other way if I know I'm going to die there. Jesus steadfastly said, I'm going to Jerusalem, verse 52. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and they entered into the village of the... Were the Samaritans the best kind of people? No, they're half-breeds. They're Bible rejectors. They're compromisers. They, they intermarry with anybody. They, 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 they mock Jerusalem and mock Israel. But Jesus said, I want to go find a place to stay in the Samaritan village to make ready for him. And they, the Samaritans did not receive Jesus. They were upset because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. They wanted him to stay with them. They wanted Jesus to heal their sick. They wanted Jesus to teach them. And Jesus tell them, I'm just staying for a night and I'm going on. They says, well, we don't want you anyway. Verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, watch every word. Wilt thou, is it your will that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? So are there, James and John says, do you want us to burn them up, Lord? Verse 55, and Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. You don't know what spirit you are being influenced by. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, and they went to another village. So as you read your Bible, read and go, wow, who's talking? No, this guy's not talking right. Not talking right at all. Chapter 5 and verse 8, back there in Job, and we'll stop with this. He says these words. Chapter 5 and verse 8. As if to say, if I were you, verse 8, I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause. So he starts off and he says, and I've got some advice for you, Job, and it is awful, and we'll have to look at that next time. Just notice, Eliphaz is so full of advice. Now, why am I taking time to look at Eliphaz? Because I'm looking at myself. I have so much advice, I just want to share it with everybody. Be careful. Eliphaz has, has, has sort of ruined his ability to have, give any advice because he is criticizing without discernment. Now, is it right if, uh, let's pretend that um, one scary day, uh, Brother Darren takes Heidi. <laughs> Thing one. <laughs> Thing two. I can't stand this. Anyway, he takes her out to teach her to drive. And so he goes out, and she's taking the theory test, but now he says, I'm going to take you out and give you some experience. And she's driving along, and she starts to go up onto the divider, and he's she's tilting the car, and the dad's going, I'm not going to upset her. No, I'm not going to offend her. No, he'll say, stop the car. <laughs> We're not doing this. And he would have some criticism for you and say, you're, you're, you're pulling too close to the edge. It is right sometimes to tell somebody they're doing wrong. Make sure that you've earned that right. Because everybody wants to tell everybody they're wrong. So he was so good at criticizing, but he had no discernment. Thirdly, he had no wisdom either. Throughout, as you study his constant attack, and you'll see it throughout all, and we're not going to spend, I'm taking the time now, because I want you to see that this is what Job is going to hear for days. 
and it, it won't let up. It just gets deeper and darker. And there's no wisdom in it. There was no, you know, I shouldn't have said that. So his advice is the most dangerous. And I got word for you. The YouTube is filled with these guys. Hollywood's actors are full of wicked advice. And yet, the, the millennial generation is following Matt Damon. They're following Beyonce. They're following the political um, uh, uh, tweets of uh, Madonna. They're following... It's just mind-blowing. There's no wisdom out there. It'd be like an eight-year-old giving advice to a 36-year-old who just was hit by another car. And trying to get out of that car wreck, and an eight-year-old coming up and says, I could have told you how to avoid that. I'm telling you, I was watching the whole thing, and I'm telling you, if you had done this, go home, kid, before you join the wreck. Be careful. Now, we're going to pick up on this next time. But... If Eliphaz got some theology, we're just going to quickly evaluate and then go into the Lord's Supper. And really, this is very appropriate because when we go to the Lord's Supper, you need to check your heart and find out, do I have a critical heart? Or do I have a compassionate, helpful heart? Do I use my tongue to cut or to heal? So, Eliphaz says Job's sin was the reason for his affliction. Is that true or false? That was false. That is absolutely false. Now, why can I say that? Because sometimes our affliction is not because of, of chastening or because of sin. Now, we got to see in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that there was a battle going on in the heavenlies, and Job sitting there minding his own business, and so when all the disaster occurred, Job didn't even know why things were happening in his life, did he? No. But when somebody comes along and says, there's probably some sin that's being exposed here. They're not a friend. Secondly, there is, none is righteous but God. Is that true or false? True. So, yeah, there's none righteous, no, no one. Here's the point. This guy's not all wrong. And the devil sometimes will throw out some truth to get you to believe it, to get you to follow and go, well, I guess he's okay all the time. He says, third of all, only fools and the wicked suffer. Is that true? That is false. I have a thought here, and I thought I had it here. Rat. I hate that. Name me somebody. Name me somebody who suffered and was not wicked. How did Daniel suffer? Excellent. Who else said somebody else over here? Job, we have Job, excellent, <laughs> kind of obvious. Marcus, Jesus, what are you going to say? Paul, who else? Stephen, okay, so how about Jeremiah? He's thrown into a dry well and left there because he was just saying what God told him to say. So the Bible is filled with righteous suffering, and yet Eliphaz says, only unbelievers, only wicked people suffer. So that is false. Another thing. Here, he says, God makes all things good and right. That is true. That is true. God is 
disciplining Job, chastening Job. Is that true? He is not chastening Job. But nobody knew that. So three thoughts. Not all our troubles are because of sin. Sometimes they're because of satanic attack. Satan just hates you. And if he can convince the devil that you will go down if he attacks you, guess what the devil's going to be allowed to do? Attack you. So when you've got a demonic attack around you, it's because the devil says, I'm going to prove to you, God, that person does not want to follow you except in the good times. And you've got to go, wow, it's not because of sin. It's because I'm being tested to find out, will I stay true? There's a third thought, and that is sometimes it's just the result of the curse. Sometimes you just find life hard because of Adam and Eve. It's not because of any sin in your life, and it's not even because of the devil. It's just hard. One last thought. Job, you just need to repent, and everything will be fine. If you ask me, just repent, Job. Is that what Job needed to do? That is false. Now, having a life and an attitude of repentance is a good way to live. But not everything is your fault. I know, gentlemen, your wife will remind you. <laughs> but repentance, sometimes when somebody says, you know, there's sin, if you just repent, that may not be true. I know a lot of people who are constantly going back to zero, constantly wondering, did I do it right? Did I get saved right? Um, uh, oh, is there some sin in my life? Okay, self-examination is okay, but don't live there. Don't live there. There is something about being forgiven and just walking with God and knowing that He loves you as you are. And that as you fall, He'll help pick you up if you'll just get up. I've got a message. I've never preached it. I've been afraid to preach it, but it's called this. Every Christian ought to be a healthy sinner. <laughs> what that means is, that you are going to struggle with sin, put up the fight, struggle with it, but don't kill yourself over it. God saved you as a sinner and knows you're going to mess up, and He's not going to turn His back on you when you do. Amen. So, conclusion. What would you call Eliphaz? A critic. He was not a friend. You'll not find any word of encouragement in the entire book from Eliphaz. Is that how you want people to see you? As somebody that's real good at finding faults? <laughs> we, um, there are sometimes when you go looking for faults. When, when John and I went go looking for the van, you know, we're looking around and we spot there's a little crack in the windshield, you know, oh, there's a dent over here, you know, and all this stuff. But at some point you got to say which one's important and which not. But boy, if you live where you're constantly pointing out and seeing all the faults and, oh, is that how you want people to see you? Eliphaz, I believe, is in heaven. I'm just going to tell you, when you meet Eliphaz, you're not going to think one good thing of him. Is that how you want your life to be known forever? Do you remember what I said before? I said Satan's only goal is to prove that people only follow God when things go good. They only go to church because they feel like it. They only read their Bible because it's something they want to do. And they only do His will when it makes sense and when it's easy. That's what He wants to prove, is that when it gets hard, they quit. When, it, when, it gets, when they get persecuted, they shut up. When it, when it becomes painful, they get angry and frustrated. Job is struggling to breathe. 
here, and you need some real friends. Go to John chapter 15, and we're finished. John 15. John 15 and verse 13. <clears throat> and I love, I never thought about this connection, but I love this connection now. John 15. Who were the disciples? Were they practically perfect people, yes or no? No. But if you said that I'm one of Bill's friends, you would think, well, wow, you must be a pretty good guy. But when Jesus talks about his friends, is he talking about pretty good people? No. Watch this. John 15, 13, he says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life, Eliphaz, for his friends. What was Job doing? Criticizing, cutting down, when Eliphaz should be saying, let me come over there and weep with you. Let me die with you. Let me hurt with you. I wish I could take your place. Because the best love was when Jesus died for his friends, us. Not that we were good friends, but we were failure friends. Amen? All right. So God allowed Job to show us the reality that God is worth losing everything for. What does Paul say in Philippians 3? He says, I have lost everything, and I count it but dung that I may win Christ and know him in the, in, in the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. He doesn't mind losing everything. Okay, do our lives show that to be true? Mm. Who are you more like at this point in your life? Are you more like Job, suffering? Are you like Job's wife, wanting to quit? Are you like Eliphaz, finding fault? We're about ready to lay the Lord's Supper here. I want you to take a few moments, close your eyes, bow your head for just a moment and say, Lord, I'm so used to thinking about myself as if I'm Job, as if I'm the one that's suffering. Right now, I want you to help me so that I'm careful so that I don't add to anybody's suffering, so that my words heal so that my Bible learning is not so that I can be right, but so that I can minister the words of life, so that I can encourage and give hope and restore, bless with my lips instead of hurt. Because probably most every one of us have a long history of being like Eliphaz. And that's the greatest wrong. Father, it's always hardest to deal with personal sins. It's easier to see and talk about other people's sins. But when we look into the perfect law of liberty, we need to see ourselves, not anyone else. Cleanse me, please. I confess that these lips have not been used to minister grace like they should have been. Lord, I want to take the Lord's Supper now with a right heart. I want to take it now with the right attitude towards, towards the use of my life for my friends.
whoever they may be in whatever situation I may find myself, help me please not be like Eliphaz. In Jesus' name, amen.